It's our hope that everyone finds some way that they can serve, whether it is through the, um, the hands-on mission opportunities that we have that week, or even if it is all you can do that week, you're too busy that week, you, don't, you have conflicts, but you still can um, bring in some items. And there's, um, there's a list of items I know Terry had shown it last week, but we still have some available in the narthex if you didn't receive that last week that we're collecting over the next week or two. Um, and so if you, even if you have conflicts that week and can't make it to any of the projects, you can still be actively involved in that way. And so we hope 100% participation is always our prayer for that. Our scripture lesson today comes from Acts 9, 1 through 31. Acts 9, 1 through 31. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. In Damascus there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, go to Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He is here with authority from the chief priests to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, Go. This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here. He sent me so that, he could, so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, flakes fell from Saul's eyes, and he, could not, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, he declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other. Isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on his name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After this had gone on for some time, the Jews hatched a plot to kill Saul. However, he found out about their scheme. 
They were keeping watch at the city gates around the clock so they could assassinate him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was really a disciple. Then Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles and told them the story about how Saul saw the Lord on the way and that the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them about the confidence with which Saul had preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. After this, Saul moved freely among the disciples in Jerusalem and was speaking with confidence in the name of the Lord. He got into debates with the Greek-speaking Jews as well, but they tried to kill him. When the family of believers learned about this, they escorted him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. God strengthened the church, and its life was marked by reverence for the Lord. Encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church continued to grow in numbers. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you fill me up so that my words may become your words. And those words may pour out onto these, your people, so that they in turn may be filled with your word, with your Holy Spirit. That it may be an active illumination of their souls. So that all who encounter them throughout the week may encounter you. And dear God, those words that are not of you, but instead are of me, instead are of my flesh, may those words fall upon deaf ears. Amen. So there's kind of a famous cartoon, a Charlie Brown, um, Lucy cartoon. Probably you've seen it um, at some point in your life. But it's this cartoon where um, Lucy and Charlie Brown are playing football. Y'all seen this? So what happens, right? So Lucy is... um, has the football in her hands, and um, she's, uh, she's prepped for Charlie Brown to kick the ball, and what does she do? At the last minute, she does, pulls it out, pulls it out away, and of course, Charlie Brown tries to kick the football and lands flat on his back. For some reason, Charlie Brown goes back, and, he, and Lucy tells him, hey, just one more time, just one more time. This time, I'm not going to take it away. I promised you, Charlie Brown, this time, I'm not going to take it away. And what happens? Charlie Brown goes, reels back, runs, gets ready to kick the football, tries to kick the football. Last minute, she takes it away, and he falls flat on his back again. Now, if you've seen this cartoon, you think probably a couple things. One, Lucy is a jerk. (laughs) And two, Charlie's not the brightest crayon in the box. You know, how many, how many of us know Lucy's the mean character, right? Like, she's supposed to be kind of the, the mean character in any Charlie Brown cartoon that you ever see. Even if you've only seen one, you know Lucy's the mean one and, the, and Charlie's the nice one. But you see this cartoon and you think, Charlie, listen, let me tell you a secret. She's going to take the football away every last time. Stop going after it, you big dummy. But for some reason, Charlie's just, you know, Charlie's a good-hearted guy, you know. He, uh, he believes that Lucy is, it, you know, I'm just going to forgive her this time. I'm going to forgive her this time, and I know if I run after that ball, this is going to be the time that she holds it. This is going to be the time that I get what I want. Don't we want just a little bit of Charlie Brown in us? 
you know, as much as we probably think that he's not the brightest crayon in the box, that he's a little dim-witted to trust in Lucy, don't we want just a little bit of that hope that Charlie has? I mean, he has fallen, literally he has fallen flat on his back, and he still trusts with all of his heart and all of his soul that Lucy will decide that that is going to be the time that she is good I want a little Charlie Brown in me, you know? I want a little bit of that hope, a little bit of that thinking the best of people, even when they've shown to us the worst. So that's where we find Ananias. You know, I love, so I I will tell you, I love Paul. Paul is my man, right? Paul is awesome. So we're talking about, they call him Saul in this because he's still Saul. They haven't named him Paul yet. But Saul becomes Paul, the apostle Paul, the, the guy who went from church to church writing letters, building up churches. He planted churches in the churches that he didn't plant, he wrote letters to. And, and even the churches that he had nothing to do with, he still wrote letters to them, encouraging them. He lifted up disciples. He lifted up um, men of God and women of God to do God's work. He was a great man of God, and I love him because I think if my ministry can be one-tenth, one-sixteenth of what his ministry looked like, I would be awesome at ministry. He is my man. But this story strikes me not about Paul, not about Saul, as much as it does about Ananias. I got caught up, to be honest, with Ananias. Because Ananias has a little bit of Charlie Brown in him. He has a little bit of that hope in him. Now, so here's what happens. We heard the story a little bit, but we're going to break things down. So Saul was not a great guy. Saul was, well, he made Lucy look like a good girl. Saul was not a great guy. Saul made his mission to go and attack the followers of Jesus Christ. And when I say that he attacked the followers of Jesus Christ, he actually had a letter drafted so that he had the authority to go and kill, to go and imprison and kill followers of Jesus Christ. Saul went after us. And yet on the way, he was on this mission to to take down the followers of Jesus Christ. And on this mission, he comes and he encounters the physical, bodily, resurrected Jesus Christ on the way. And he has a conversion experience that is unlike any other conversion experience. He cannot deny at that point that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. And then God appears to Ananias. Now, Ananias didn't have any proof of what had just happened to Saul. Ananias was not there. None of the disciples were there. Now, there were a few witnesses there. We hear in the story there were a few witnesses, but Ananias was not one of them. The disciples were not one of them, ones of them. But God goes to Saul, or God goes to Ananias, and God says, hey, there's, there's this man, his name's Saul, and Ananias goes, no, 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 I know about Saul. I'm staying far away from that man. God says, no, 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 listen to me. There's this man named Saul, And Saul has had a conversion experience, and I really need for someone to disciple him. Ananias, you're the guy. And Ananias goes, no, no, I'm not. God, I've heard about Saul. Let me tell you, I've heard about him. I know about him. I'm not going anywhere near him. And God goes, no, 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 Ananias, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. 
I have chosen you to go and disciple Saul. Saul's going to understand how hard this really is. Trust me, I'll, I'll take care of Saul, but I need for you to disciple him. And Ananias goes. He takes Saul in. The disciples, he goes to the disciples. The disciples have the same kind of reaction that Ananias has. No, no, we know about this guy. He's going to kill us. And still, they take him in and they disciple him. He lives among them. Now, there's something in us that is very self-protective. Several months ago, I, had, um, I came home one day and just some things looked a little out of order. It wasn't really, it wasn't, it, they didn't steal anything, and so I wasn't really sure. Nothing was missing, so I wasn't really sure if someone had broken in, but there were just some things that were a little skew. Um, a, a screen was off of my front window, and then my back door was unlocked, and it's like, you know, that could have been the wind, and that could have been me. I'm not really sure, so I called up Charlie, um, our youth pastor, because he lives really close, and so I figured he could come beat people up for me if I needed to. Those of you who know him, just let that image sink into your mind. <laughs> um, so I'm on the phone with him. I was like, I was describing things to him. I was like, you know, things are a little weird. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know the neighborhood better than me. You've lived here longer than me. Do you know? Like, do you think? He's like, Amy, you're, no, you're fine. Um, I'm like, still, I'm going to have the cops come out. So the cops come out and they knock on the door and they're like, what do you want us to do? I'm like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. They're like, was anything missing? Well, no, I'm a pastor, and even if there was, they'd be sorely disappointed. Like, <laughs> there's nothing. Y'all, I'm going to give y'all a secret right now. If you've ever thought of breaking into my house, there are no crown jewels in my house, you know? Like, there's nothing worth being stolen. But anyway, so I did what every um, irrational person would do after thinking that their house got broken into and I got a security system. And I explained to the very nice people of the security system, I said, I don't own anything of worth other than my dog. And if a, a robber let my dog out, then I just would beg for my dog to be brought back. And that's the only thing that I care about. But I got a security system because there's something in us that when we feel invaded, when we feel like our protection is, um, when we feel like we're at risk for being harmed, our first instinct is to protect ourselves right? And so that was my first instinct, and that's what happens to us a lot when it comes to other people. You've harmed me, and so I'm going to protect myself. You have let that football, you've ripped that out as I come running, and I fell flat on my back, and so I'm not going to trust you anymore. You have harmed me, you have hurt me, and so I am going to protect myself. It's why, it's why we protect our kids when they're itty-bitty, why, why there's child-proofing all over our houses, why we protect the electrical outlets and all that kind of thing. Our, our instinct then is to protect them while they still can't protect themselves. But what happens that first time that that kid touches the stove? They learn real quick, right? Mom and dad may not have been wrong about this. It's hot. I'm not doing that again. In fact, our bodies are built to protect ourselves. That's why we have the sense of touch in the first place. It's not as punishment. It's so that we know when we're about to be harmed, when we're about to be hurt. And yet, for some reason, Ananias, with everything in him, everything that told him that I am about to be harmed, 
he still took this man under his wing, discipled him, forgave him, and let him live with him. Not because he trusted Saul, but because he trusted God. Not because he trusted this man that for all intents and purposes had given him no reason to trust him, but because he trusted God. And God told him to trust this man. God told him that this man is forgiven. Saul, Paul, did a lot of nasty, evil, mean things in his life. And you know what he did? He took those stories and he became uniquely gifted and qualified to be the guy who could go out and who could talk to people who were against the church, who spewed hatred towards the church, who questioned the church. Because who knows better how to talk to those people than the person who already once was that person? He was uniquely called, uniquely gifted, uniquely qualified for that job. But the forgiveness had to come first. The forgiveness from God had to come first. See, the thing is, my sense is that most of us in here, maybe even all of us in here, have someone that we have a really hard time to forgive. And probably it's not someone who is as... um, as extreme as has been spewing murderous words to us, which maybe that's possible, but I'm guessing that probably the majority of us have situations that's more like, more along the lines of that neighbor who never leashes their dog and uses our yard as a bathroom, and yet for some reason we can't forgive them. Ananias could forgive the guy who spewed hatred towards him, but that neighbor, man, just going to give him a doggy bag and let him go about their business but I'm going to talk about him later on. And I'm being lighthearted about that, but some of you have real, real, real people that you need to forgive in your life. And, I, you know, there's scripture that says something about pearls before swine, that we don't keep giving our best and our best and our best to people who are just going to trample on it, but that doesn't mean we don't forgive them. That doesn't mean that we don't give them grace, that we don't give them love, and that we don't view them as a child of God. Because some of you have family members that you still haven't forgiven. Some of you have friends that you still haven't forgiven. Some of you have real betrayal in your life, in your stories, that you're having a hard time forgiving. You don't have to trust that person. You just have to trust God. That God forgave them before they could even forgive themselves. We're going to take communion in a little bit. And one of the things about communion is that we get this time, we get this opportunity, we get this chance to come before the table and to admit that God's grace was poured out on us even before we could pour it out on ourselves, even before we knew what it was, even before we knew who God was and is. Grace still abounds and grace still pours out on us. But there's also something about coming to the table with clean hearts. Coming to the table, being able to forgive others as we come to the table. But my sense is, 
some of us in here are still having a hard time forgiving ourselves. Some of us in here are having a hard time because we think about that thing that we did, that sin that we did, that mistake we made, and we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Let me tell you, that's getting in the way of you seeing who you are called to be as a child of God. (laughs) Here's the amazing thing about the story of Saul. Saul did the worst things in the world. Saul did horrible, awful, evil things against God. And God not only forgave him, God handpicked him, plucked him out, and selected him for a mission for the church. So if God can do that with Saul, now Paul, who's to say that God can't do that with you? That that thing that you are holding on to, that thing that you can't forgive yourself for, that thing that you think, why do I keep doing this to myself? Who's to say that God can't take that away from you so that you can do that and maybe even use that for a mission for God? As we come to the table today, my, my challenge for us, my prayer for us, is that as we come to this table today, we actually leave that out on the table for God. We leave those sins out on the table for God. We leave those mistakes out on the table for God. And that we allow ourselves to open our hands so that the grace of God can pour into us. So that we may know who God is more fully today. We can see God more clearly today. We can remove those things that we are holding on to that are keeping us from seeing who he is. And instead lay them on the table so that we can move into our mission as a part of the mission of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion in a minute. And we have a few instructions for, for those of you who may be new or those of you who may have forgotten um, we take grace here by, or we take communion here by intention. It is a means of grace. That means it's a means by which God, um, we can encounter God. We can know who God is more fully. There are outward signs of a grace that's already happening in us. And so one of the things about our means of grace, are about communion, is that we open our hands outstretched because God has already given us that grace. Before we knew it, Before we were able to wrap our brains around it, God already has extended that grace to us. And so you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't even have have to have ever declared Jesus Christ as your Savior. You just have to be willing and ready to open your hands to receive who Christ is for you. Because of that, all are welcome at the table. That means if you have a little kid with you, they are perfectly welcome to the table. They're invited to the table. We do ask if they're a little younger that you just help them and make sure that they understand. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take the bread in our hands and then dip it in the cup. Um, and so if you'll help them um, do that, uh, then we can, we can work together to make that happen. We do have gluten-free offerings, and so if that's something that you desire, then just come to the center um, station here and just indicate that. We are very careful about not touching the gluten-free with our hands that have already had the bread on them. And so we do try and take careful, um, take extra care about that so that you can partake um, and the juice cup is separate as well. Let us pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit,